Welcome to Inside the Upside Down on the Mike Ricksecker audio journey on MikeRicksecker.com. Welcome to Inside the Upside Down. I am your host, Mike Ricksecker, author and ghost story. And with me is our chat shenanigator, Shauna, who is, by the way, also an, an author. <laughs> and so uh, we have a uh, interesting show on tap for you this evening on haunted crimes, haunted crime scenes, paranormal crime scenes, whatever you want to call it. So uh, basically, those... Uh, you know, moments in our history where, you know, some tragedy has occurred and now the location is haunted, usually by those that were involved with that particular crime. So that's what we're diving into, kind of inspired by the Lizzie Borden Friday Night Ghost Rites that we had this past Friday. So, and we did do a Haunted Crimes last year for uh, Edge of the Rabbit Hole, but we're going to cover some different stories here. And, um, of course, there is the beautiful Shauna. I, I could just sit here and watch Shauna the whole for the whole hour and just leave it at that but I don't think people are going <laughs> to that. darn darn and there's and there's Fran right in the chat isn't she beautiful yes absolutely so <laughs> oh you you did mention Shauna that we might want to make a little announcement here um something that'll be happening with this show coming up here is that we will actually be in studio together doing this show here very soon yeah next month Next month. Next month. So no more typing in as a guest <laughs> nine hours away. It'll be an official. It'll be official together. We won't have all the craziness. Yeah, of Skype and all that. We'll just be dealing with Frontier. <laughs> and I'm sure Candy has some words down in the chat about Frontier. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. So we might have to have the. Uh, you know, the gerbils running the treadmill or whatever they do to <laughs> get the internet going out there. So, all right. And Bree Jones is like, and no more Frontier? No, we're going to like full-time Frontier. Now, if it was going the other way, if Shauna was coming here, then we'd be using Spectrum, which is yeah, probably in a couple of years after we are far away from Greenfield, <laughs> yeah. uh, where there's civilization and more options to pick from. Right, right. So we just, we're only going to have the one option because it's out in the middle of nowhere and that's what you get. So we'll deal. We'll deal with it. We'll make it work because that's what we do. So let's go ahead and get into the show. So like I said, haunted crimes, uh, haunted crime scenes, paranormal cold cases. There's $10, uh, $10 super chat from Tom McNicholas. Welcome to Illinois, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just, um, I mean, really, we just, um, we got the contract in place for the house this past weekend when i was out there um been working on setting up all the utilities and everything the last couple of days so it's happening for real for realsies <laughs> all right so first up on deck since this was our friday night ghost frights um lizzie borden there she is <laughs> lizzie borden so the question is you know did she do it and i frankly think she got away with one for, well not actually one two right so, um, yeah, Bree Jones says you start your own uh, communications company, compete with Frontier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'd Absolutely. make we'd make a mint off of it because everybody hates Frontier. So 
True enough. True enough. They they had frontier. So, um, yeah. So Lizzie, uh, Diane Hilber saying, yeah, she did it. I mean, it's she was the only one in the house. You know, aside from uh, Bridget the maid, uh, otherwise known as Maggie, and she was actually outside washing the windows. So it was Lizzie inside um, with her uh, stepmother, and this is. This is Abby. I've, I've blurred out the images because I don't know how YouTube feels about that stuff. Um, so, yeah, so Lizzie was inside alone. She claims that she was downstairs ironing and didn't hear or witness a thing. Sometimes she says that she was out in the barn. Uh, other times she said she was eating pears. It's it, Her story is all over the place. So for a little, for a little backstory about... Um, uh, about Lizzie here. So, these were her, well, her father and her stepmother. So, Lizzie's mother died when she was two years old, and her sister Emma basically agreed to take care of her. Because Emma was 10 years older, so she made that promise to her mother yes, I'll take care of little Lizzie. So, Lizzie never accepted Abby as her mother. Um, it was always Emma that was her mother. So as she grew older, this grew more contentious. And this about Andrew. Andrew was, um, well, he was, they were the Borden family in the Fall River, Massachusetts. They had money, but Andrew was basically a miser. He was a penny pincher with his money. He wasn't of the board inside that inherited all the money, but he had the connections and he he made his money. But he also elected to stay in the working class part of town rather than live up on the hill with all the um, with all the rich Bordens. And so, you know, Lizzie always got to see her cousins living this you know really lavish lifestyle that she wanted a part of, and you know, it just wasn't going to happen with Andrew. And so there were opportunities that she thought she should have had that she wasn't getting you know like going to the balls and things like that so she and um emma basically were you know they were spinsters they're you know the the rich affluent guys that would have been in their life that they were kind of you know aspiring to you know have you know weren't going to court them because they weren't of the you know of the money board and so they were spinsters and still living with their parents and you know, very, very restricted in their lifestyle where they couldn't go do a lot of different things. So it was basically school growing up and the church. And so Lizzie was a Sunday school teacher. And so, you know, these different things, you know, really uh, frustrated her and infuriated her. And so if you, you know, look at the bodies, we showed Abby earlier. And then here's... Um, if I go back, uh, there's Andrew on the couch. People are familiar with this photo, and his head was totally crushed in. Um, I, they were acts of rage. Do you guys actually see the ghost in the in the right hand corner? <laughs> the guy standing there. It's a, it's almost like a double exposure, but uh, he's translucent there in the corner. Just going to throw that one out there. But um, yeah, it was, of course, you have the nursery rhyme ball. Uh, gave her mother forty wax, and then uh, gave her father 41 it was actually 19 and 11 19 on abby and 11 on uh andrew so 
of course, that leaves a lot of, uh, you know, bad energy in the house, you know. Um, and Shana, maybe you can speak to a, a little bit, because of course I want to involve you in the conversation, <laughs> um, about how, you know, tragedies like this, how they can, you know, leave a negative imprint on the house. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything, I mean, all kinds of energy, even if it's good, you know, can leave an imprint on a house. But uh, negative energy, you know, even more so. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't, you know, surprise me in the slightest that there's, and, you know, there's even more, you know, than just that, you know, that went on in the house also, you know, just that particular, you know, set of people. So, um, you know, I don't know what anybody else, you know, thinks I can speak from, you know, personal experience, you know, for the cafe, if something traumatic continues to happen at a place, does it invite, you know, more bad karma, more negative energy? Does it create enough, you know, energy to keep, you know, in provoking more negative things to happen to people, you know? Um, right. And something that, you know, I discovered, and a lot of people don't know this, but the information's out there you know, about this particular house is that there had already been a couple of murders at this house, a murder and a suicide back in 1848. So uh, the murders with Lizzie were in 1892, but in 1848, some earlier Bordens were in the house. And let me go ahead and bring up the picture of the house. And uh, let's see, there it is, Lizzie House. Okay. So earlier in this house in 1848, it was Eliza Borden, and she drowned two of her three children in the basement water cistern. And then she went upstairs and slit her own throat with a straight razor. So that was already in this house, that type of negative energy. So did that help? feed Lizzie perhaps what do you think you know do you think that maybe maybe she was tapping in and maybe she was tapping into that you know maybe she was being haunted by what was already there and it just drove her nuts mm -hmm. you know I mean in addition to what she had going on maybe that made it more susceptible for her to it put that negative energy out there for her to feed off of yeah because this you know cause it, I didn't know that yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that either until I was, you know, researching the hauntings of the house and I came across that the two children are sometimes seen there and they're also, um, the, the people have heard them playing marbles. So, you know, that's where I came across it. And, you know, kind of, you know, leading into what you're saying, you know, this was a newer house for them. So one of the things that pissed off Lizzie and Emma was that Andrew had purchased a house for Abby's half-sister and that was totally against his character he like I said he was a he was a miser he was known for that um and Lizzie's half and I forget her name but uh Abby's half-sister uh was basically going to get evicted out of her house so Andrew bought her a house and so here's you know Lizzie 32 Emma 10 years older at 42 like you know what the hell you know, we're we're adult children and haven't really been able to live our lives because we're stuck in this house with you and you buy her a house. What about us? So Andrew had this other house. They actually were not living in the in the murder house at that time. 
um, Andrew had this other house that he had inherited from his father that they were renting out. And so Andrew sold it to Liz and Emmy and Emma for a dollar. And then they all moved into it. And so this was a place they weren't really familiar with the energy until they actually moved into it. So, you know, what do you think? Maybe going in there with the animosity that they were already having toward Abby, toward Andrew. Because at, at this point, when, when that happened, even though they got the house, Lizzie was walking down the street and Abby's family would come walking from the other side. She would just turn her head. You know, and that was kind of a big deal back then. You know, that was your social life, walking down the street saying hi to everybody. And she would, she would snub them. So maybe, you know, going into this house, already having that animosity. And then now you have the negative energy of what's already happened there. Yeah, it's, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> it's on our bucket list. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, from Bree Jones. Um, and thank you, Donna, for uh, taking the questions. Uh, do you think she was framed by her family since they were all away? Was rat poison a test? So, well, Emma was the only one that was actually away. And there are people that think that maybe Emma did it, that she, you know, faked the whole leaving town thing and snuck back into the house, and then she committed the murders. Um, I mean, it's, I, I guess, you know, it could possibly happen. I, given what I've read about Lizzie's demeanor and Emma's demeanor, it seems more like Lizzie would be the one of the two that would do something like that. Um, and then rat poison. So they were suffering from some sort of food poisoning, like um, from a day or two beforehand, and that's the reason why Andrew came home. He was not actually supposed to be at the house at that time when he got murdered, but he wasn't feeling well because they had all been dealing with this food poisoning, and he came home, laid down on the couch, and, and then, you know, got murdered. Um, but even Abby, I guess, had asked the doctor, you know, do you think somebody tampered with the food? And then the day beforehand, before the murders happened, Lizzie was out trying to buy a poison, a type of acid, that she said she was going to use to uh, clean, I think she said it was a sealskin coat, um, but the pharmacist wouldn't give her the poison, so she was out there trying to find poison, apparently. So, um, so there's a lot of different, um, you know, possibilities of things that could have happened, and you guys are talking about the, uh, uh, the Lizzie Borden Chronicles on, uh, on Netflix with uh, Christina Ricci. So, yeah, she does a good job of playing Lizzie Borden. She does. If if you believe that Lizzie Borden was as psychotic as Christina Ricci is portraying her, she's doing a good job of it. Um, here, here's one um, from, from Andrew Cox. So, can the over-investigating get to the point of unsafe settings? What do you think? It depends on what the investigators are doing while they're investigating. The techniques that they're using, are they, you know, inviting, intentionally inviting things into the mix that they don't have the ability to, you know, send away? I mean, it depends on, I think it depends on the level of respect that the investigators are treating the venue and the spirits inside it with. That's what I think. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree with that. Yep. You know, I... You know, as for... And, and then, too, you know, it depends on, you know, the level of energy, you know, the strength of it, the amount of it that was there before the investigators got to it also. I mean, some places are just... The potential is there, you know, um, whether you're doing anything to invite it or not. But especially if teams and, you know, there's been, you know, so many teams in there. Oh, yeah. And some, of, oh, some of them don't all some of them investigate like assholes. So <laughs> some of them investigate like like assholes. There's yeah. also uh, Ouija boards in there that people have, you know, used to try to contact the family members. I don't use those. I I know, but they but people do use them in there, so that that could play into uh, some of this as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Kathy Siliento asks, even in that state of mind, how did Lizzie find the physical strength to carry out the crimes? Well, they were killed. I mean, they were killed with a hatchet. So as far as like physically, you know, it's it's not much to wield a hatchet. Um, and back then. I hate, I hate to say this, but I, I think they were used to a little bit more physical labor back then. You know, so I, I think Lizzie would have been able to handle a hatchet, you know, just fine. And yeah, it's, uh, I, I guess kind of, it would take something out of you, you know, 19 whacks over somebody's head with a hatchet and to pick it up and do it again an hour and a half later. I mean, your muscles might be a little sore, but I don't think it's too unreasonable to physically do it. Um, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, the mental capacity. You know, had she snapped that much, you know, she always had that anima animosity against Abby. Um, her father, you know, from all accounts, she loved her father. So that's, that's the tough one. Um, some people have talked about maybe some incest in play but i haven't actually seen proof um i've just seen people talk about it um and well she was pissed off at him at that time so was she pissed off enough at him to say hey i, I love you but i i love you but i hate you right now and so i'm going to take you out you know because you're preventing me from moving on with my life I mean, she was 32 years old and you know she wanted to live and get out there she ended up when they bought that big house uh maplecroft you know, she started going out a lot more, and her friends became the theater crowd, and she was inviting them back for parties. So, that was apparently her, her motive. If she did it, and remember, Lizzie was acquitted. She was not found guilty of the crimes. So, um, see if, uh, what else you guys have? Or maybe we'll move on to our next one. Um... Yeah, Betty, can you imagine the uh, the blood spatter? The police bungled the investigation. Well, yeah, you know, when you're talking Fall River, uh, Massachusetts in 1892. They did not have the investigative techniques that they do these days. Of course, Fall River police had never dealt with anything like this. There were a lot of different things in play. So, you know, for one, they weren't, they, at first, were not looking at a woman uh, to have committed the crime because women who murdered didn't, use physical force to murder, they use poison, which apparently she did try. But when they came to the house, they sedated Lizzie. 
uh, because they wanted to they wanted to keep her calm uh, because she was you know there in the house and her you know her father was dead and then they ended up finding Abby later on but they administered morphine to her like almost immediately to calm her down and she they kept giving her morphine for the next several days and when they did an inquest of her and started questioning her the testimony of that was thrown out because she was still on this morphine that they were giving her um there were people in and out of the crime scene um constantly so like you know people were hearing that oh my gosh something happened to the board and so her friends were walking in you know right in the middle of of all this they did the autopsy right in the in the sitting room right then and there so you know it's just stuff that you wouldn't see these days um so, I don't want to spend uh, too much time on this because we have uh, several other crimes to go over and we could talk about Lizzie Borden for a long time. We did a Friday Night Ghost Rights on that. So, I think we're going to wrap up on that. Um, and we are going to move on to the Goldenrod Showboat. And so, you don't usually think of the Goldenrod Showboat as, you know, something that you would associate with a haunted crime or a paranormal crime scene or something like that. But there is the story of Annie. Uh, Shauna, do you want to tell uh, the viewers a little bit about Annie? Yeah, Annie Annie was basically lived uh, on the showboat. Most of you probably already know the story. Um, she was involved with Bill Minky's uh, brother, Captain Bill's brother, uh, Charlie Minky. Um, and apparently uh, Annie's dad uh, wasn't too crazy about that. And um, she had left angry. And when she was found uh, the next day, she was dead and uh, floating next to the boat. And, and, you know, there was definitely evidence of foul play there so um and her her spirit of course was always very much alive on the boat um and so was charlie's also yeah yeah so this is um my apparent incident with annie which is depicted by adam tillery uh this happened the first time that i investigated with you shauna <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> the the day that we actually met and um this was you remember uh what you said yeah i you know he felt like somebody was uh messing with his hair messing with his ear and i said uh i asked her i said why don't you blow in it and she did yeah <laughs> And then you asked if uh, she would do it again. I can't remember exact, the exact precise words. I have it written in the book. <laughs> the, could you um, do that again? Yeah. And, and sure enough. And so this is Adam's depiction of her blowing in my ear. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but yeah, you know, it's one of those, um, it's one of those tragic tales. It's, it's, it's an unsolved crime. Nobody ever figured out what happened to her, you know, and, and it makes you wonder, you know, with, with her, with Annie still being on the boat, at least the last time we knew, um, the, the last couple of times we were on there, we hadn't really um, interacted with her. We were interacting with others, probably, you know, most notably Charlie. Um, but she's still lingering there. And, and it makes you wonder, you know, does she want her crime, her story to be told? 
I mean, I would like to know more about it. You know, I want to know who else was involved. You know, what exactly happened and um, the chances of that happening, you know, to be able to open something like that up again, you know, considering how much time had passed. Yeah. Um, would probably would probably take some time. Yeah, you're talking at least, what, 60 or 70 years or something like that? How much yeah, time has now, gone by? According to Jake, um, she's still... She's still around. Um, you know, she still kind of visits Jake every once in a while. Oh, she, she still gets, visits Jake. Okay. Yeah, he, you know, signs, you know, of her that he was familiar with before, you know, started kind of randomly popping up again. So um, it's been happening for a little while. But to me, that's a sign of, you know, you know, for all of a sudden to be popping up again, you know, maybe it should be reopened. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know too many specifics about the case, you know, aside from, yeah, I mean, she ran off into the St. Louis night and the next morning they were finding her floating alongside the boat, you know, but it just, it seems too fishy, you know, no pun intended. <laughs> okay. Um this is from Dawn. Do you think Annie knows the boat burned? If she's visiting Jake, I guess that's a that would be the question. Was she visiting Jake before it burned? She did. She, she did. Said. Okay. Okay. So uh, the, the so the arson fire is irrelevant to her her visiting. Yeah, the night that it happened, you know, like I said, I had no idea. You know, but I was um, awoken in the middle of the night. Would have been probably within the hour that they say that it was set. Of right. uh, somebody screaming help, like they were, you know, like they were right there. And I don't remember um, a dream to go along with it. You know, there was just somebody screaming help at me, and it jolted me awake, and I sat up. You know, um, I really couldn't put a gender to it but i kind of feel like you know that was just through my connection to the body i feel like that that was somebody reaching out to let me know that it was going on yeah you know unfortunately i didn't find out about it until you know after the fact but um it was hard to go back to sleep again you know because i couldn't put my finger on it i couldn't tell you know shaking myself out of you know sleep you know did it happen you know, was it some, I kind of felt like it was someone from further, you know, away, like not in, you know, not in close radius right. at the time. You know, I felt like, you know, it was from a little bit of ways, but I couldn't tell, you know, where it was coming from. But then, you know, when I found out that, you know, about the same time, you know, that's, you know, according to the uh, reports, um, you know, that I just you know, on my own piece together, you know, that had to be what it was. Yeah. With, with your connection to the boat and that is what happened that night. It, it really seems they were calling out to you. And I wonder if others connected the boat to the boat like that, like Jake and, and some others, you know, if they'd gotten that distress call too. Uh, does Jake ever say anything about that? No, 
No, he got the actual physical phone calls from that one. So, yeah. like yeah, way I, after the fact. Right. Yeah. So. So well, he made the call actually to the fire mart to get somebody there, and or somebody had called, and you know, three hours after the fact, a lot of damage can happen three hours after, you know. So. Yeah, especially you know, with how old that thing was. I mean, five minutes the thing goes up, you know. But, yeah, three hours later, and it's still going, and, yeah. Um, so, from Fran Molino, do you believe the spirits stayed and are still there at the location? You know, I got that question last night when uh, when Gina had asked me that. Um, we don't know, because we haven't been down there. So, there's a lot of different possibilities that could happen. They could be still lingering there. The hole is still there. Um, I think some other possibilities include... You know, they could go to St. Louis, where the, you know, the boat had stayed for decades. Um, you know, maybe they passed on to that other realm, whatever it is, you know, like Peter was talking about um, our, on Edge of the Rabbit Hole earlier today, you know, or do they become a transient spirit and they're moving, you know, in and out of other locations? Because we talk about transient spirits, people going, you know, kind of passing through, um, uh, some of these other haunted locations deciding to stick around for a while, and, but, but they're not originally from there, so we call them transient spirits. So maybe they become that. I don't know. Shauna, do you have any inkling, any feeling, any idea? Because um, you've been so connected to many of these spirits. I mean, where Jake said that he's starting to feel, you know, where he's been feeling Annie's energy again. Um, you know, I don't really see... I, I kind of hope that they stay, I mean, I, I don't know how it all happens, you know, to yeah. be honest, you know, I, at the same time, if there is some type of crossover thing that happens, I don't want to be selfish, be like, no, you guys can't go anywhere, you <laughs> right. know, um, but I think uh, that there's still, if, if a spirit's going to move on, move on, I, I think that it would be after you know, the unfinished business is gone. There are still unfinished business surrounding that boat, and that is, you know, who meant, well, we, we kind of know how it all started. But oh, I who, called him out last night. <laughs> yeah, who physically, you know, did it. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, I mean, the boat is far from. It was know, the landowners. Big, well, you know, that. <laughs> yes, I get that. Um, but I don't, I am about 99.999% sure that neither one of the landowners actually physically set the place. No, no, they had somebody do it, but they were behind it. Yeah. Yeah. It was no secret that they didn't want it there. Right. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I think there, I think there's still energy attached to the land. Um, whether we'll see, you know, spirits from the boat, you know, lingering around there, you know, what it looks like to them, you know, do they know, you know, that it happened, you know, I have no idea. Yep. Yeah, we don't know yet. Um, and, yeah, so Sean and Betty and Wayne are kind of asking the same thing, what, you know, what happened to the boat, any part of the bullet. Basically, the hole is still sitting there. They were stopped in the middle of the salvage operation and there's some legal wrangling going on so there's there's bits of it still sitting there um jake had some 
charred remnants of it there at the Hunter of Media Paracon. Um, and then it's the, gonna get fun. Yeah, yeah. There's gonna be some fun stuff going on. Yeah, going, I will. Because you know you can't commit crimes without paying for it. That's right. And karma's gonna bite you in the ass anyway. So from uh, from B three airspace, we'll take this last one, and then we'll move on to the next uh, topic. So uh, were there any death certificate reports of any unusual bruising, etc.? So this is on about Annie, and I'm not specifically sure. Um, I, that would be a question for Jake. I don't know if Jake has mentioned anything specifically to you about that with Annie. Um, I haven't really asked. I mean, all I knew. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure if he really, you know, pursued it to that extent, you know, or if that kind of, you know, report just wasn't there. I like, I'm pretty sure that if it existed, you know, if he was able to get his hands on it, I'm sure. Yeah, well, he, know, he, history yeah, standpoint. yeah, he got enough information to know that oh, her full name was Victoria Ann, her nickname was Annie and, and all of that. So he's got a lot of the story. So... Yeah, I don't know how much of the historic research he did on it, and that might be something for us to, you know, dive into as Haunted Road Media to get more of her story. Uh, I know I would have liked to, because, you know, I thought we were going to be doing more investigating there, but... Uh, there is a boat historian also, you know, that is, you, yeah. That actually knew Captain Minky. Yeah, so, um, and she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And very, very informative, very well first you know on the boat so and she confirmed that one of your evps was actually the voice of captain minky right and see i'd never heard the man's voice in my life ever mm -hmm. you know but she had you know she had actually physically met him and so when i played that for her you know it was just like um you know how do you have i was like well that's all i need to know, <laughs> you know? right so okay so yeah that was Definitely am. Yep. So we're going to move on now to H.H. Holmes. So um, we're actually not going to spend a lot of time on H.H. Holmes because the actual, like, haunting part of it um, are not... Um, okay, the, the location where the, the murder castle is at now, which is a uh, post office right now, people talk about a little bit of activity there. Uh, but I wanted to bring it bring it up. We did talk a little bit about it before in our last Haunted Crimes last year. Um, an interesting topic um, because, well, we had Jeff Mudgett on here last fall. And you know, he had the show American Ripper, which basically ties H.H. Uh, Holmes to Jack the Ripper and being the same person, which is, of course, very, very interesting. Um, Betty is like he was the devil for sure. Well, he even claimed he was. <laughs> he claimed that uh, he was he was born with the devil on his shoulder. Um, and yeah, Donna, badass dude. You know he was. Um, you know we'll, we'll pop up the murder castle here. This is uh, the murder castle uh, being built, and just all the different secret rooms that he had in there uh, for for murder, for torture. You know, just the trap doors going down to the basement where. You know, he had the furnaces for, um, you know, for burning them, for cremating them. He also would clean them off with acid and then sell the uh, skeletons to the uh, to the local colleges, which is kind of how he came in to being. I mean, he studied to be a doctor and he, you know, was very familiar with cadavers. And so he had his whole thing was like a big insurance 
scheme is really what it was because he was like taking insurance policies out on the cadavers and then turning them in, you know, for saying, hey, you know, this this person is insured through me, you know, give me the money. Um, and he would do the same thing with his victims there in Chicago where he would have these, a lot with women, um, they all kept following him for him. <laughs> and he was having them take out insurance policies with him as the beneficiary and then suddenly they'd disappear or die and he would collect on those insurance policies um so his big thing even though like murder was his uh was was his uh mo it was all for money you know and, and cashing in on on the insurance policies um so let me go back because uh, this is kind of a interesting photo here um, somebody threw this up on Google somewhere where they overlaid the murder castle onto the uh, the post office. And so there's like a little bit of the post office that actually, I guess in the basement there, you know, some of the maintenance people that have gone in there have experienced different uh, hauntings. Um, of course, Jeff Mudgett would love to dig up that little courtyard there with the where the tree, I guess the tree isn't there now. Um but they want to dig that up and see if they can get to the original basement where some of these different things happened. Um, and Betty's saying, yeah, he did that all of his life with the insurance fraud, yeah. Um, so people are actually saying that they're looking at his his picture and it's resonating with them strangely. Let me go back. So how is this resonating with you guys? So there he is. So... I don't know how many of you have seen American Ripper. I'm kind of curious as to uh, what you guys think of H.H. Holmes being um, Jack the Ripper. I mean, I do find it kind of interesting how, because of all of his different business transactions that he had, and he had many. I mean, he's chronicled very well throughout um, Chicago with all of his business dealings. In that point in time where the Ripper murders were going on in the U.K., there was like nothing from him in the uh, in the in the Chicago area as far, as far as like his business transactions and all that. So that was kind of compelling to me. Um, they're saying he looks stoned. <laughs> um, yeah. And Betty, he had the perfect time as the world fair came in. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, really, really fascinating history. Very grisly. Um, and then also very sad because of the, um, the, the Peitzel children. So, um, Benjamin Peitzel was kind of his right-hand man who did a lot of things for him. And somehow he thought that, well, because I work for him, you know, he's he's not going to kill me off like he did everybody else, right? Which he did. He actually ended up killing him in Philadelphia. Um, but Peitzel's children were <laughs> were traveling with, with Holmes throughout the countryside because he was kind of on the run. Um, you know, the Pinkertons were hunting him down and all that. And so... One of the things I always questioned about this that people don't ever talk about are the different locations in which the bodies of the children were found. So, like this particular house, this drawing of the house here is the house um, in Toronto where the uh, where the bodies of the girl were found, or the girls were found. And then there's also one in the Indianapolis area where um, he had killed the young boy. So, I've always wondered because nobody ever talks about, but these particular houses and these particular locations, are they haunted? You know? Um, Shauna, what do you think? I mean, why wouldn't they be? 
Yeah. You know, in addition to whatever the properties had going on before, you know, you know, someone was, you know, killed there or buried there or whatever. It would make sense, you know, that a, you know, a life being taken wouldn't have, you know, would it be an intelligent, you know, would it be residual? No idea. But yeah, yeah. I believe it. Yeah, it would, it would make a lot of sense to me and just nobody ever talks about it. And I know you, Shauna, are very, you have that connection with, with child spirits. And these these were young children. I think they were all, I want to say 10 and under. I, uh, I believe so. I, I would love, I, I always say that I would love to go to these places. You know, I mean, it means exposing myself to because sometimes it doesn't always affect me in a positive way. Um, you know, but I still, you know, I still would want to know, would want to experience it. You know, I'm not, I don't have the same um, ability that Vanessa has where stuff like that, you know, right. comes to her. Um, you know, so me going there, I may feel, you know, their energy and I may feel, you know, I may even feel, you know, a symptom of how it happened, you know, but I'm probably not going to get a name. I'm not going to get, you know, I don't always get that stuff, even though these names are here, you know. Sometimes you do get names, though, like uh, Molly. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was pretty unexpected. Right. Um, but. Yeah. Um, I have to throw this out there. Tom McNicholas is uh, reminding us that Jeff Mudgett will be at the Spook Show in August. So uh, that's going to be very, very cool. Um, cause we, yeah, we had a great interview with, with Jeff uh, last September. And yeah, he, I'd love to pick his brain. <laughs> he's, uh, he's the great-grandson of H.H. H. Holmes. So um, he has that lineage. And the, the show was fascinating. Some of the different research that they were doing, you know, going overseas, the different things that they did in Chicago. That They did go to some of these locations, like the, uh, the site of where the, uh, of where the boy was killed in the Indianapolis area. And just, you know, they were tracking down how, you know, he actually took the boy to the store to, to basically buy the tools and materials that he was going to use to murder him. You know, it's horrible, absolutely horrible. So, um, it, but so fascinating. I, I, why does that do that to us? You know, it's like this horrible thing happened, but yet we get fascinated by it. A lot of people have a fascination with serial killers. Um, one of my besties, Kia, she has this extreme fascination with serial killers. She's like, not like it's I want to be one or anything, but, you know, it's just, um, it's just, you know, for those of us who like to research and, and are constantly, our minds are, you know, it's, it's the thought processes. It's, you know, trying to get a read on, you know, people, you know, and researching them to find out, you know, what, what's going on to make them, you know, do stuff like that. And... You know, it's all about, you know, just the process, the processes, you know, and then the mental and the emotional, you know, whatever is going on to cause people to do stuff like that. It is fascinating. Um, but then even more fascinating than that is what's not being told, which requires more research. I mean, you could stumble upon, you know, holy shit, you know, where's this been? You know, right. how come nobody talks about this, you know? And then that sparks a whole new, you know, a whole new path, 
you know, to the story could, could open up a new story, you know, I mean, could. all that stuff's fascinating. We're all fascinated. By we it. are, we are. It's, it's mysterious. And, uh, so Tom is, um, yep. Some people are asking about what, uh, spook show is. And so Tom, you can throw that information in there. It's in, uh, Mattoon, Illinois, August 3rd and 4th. Shauna and I will be there as well. So be sure to come on out for that. So, um, yeah, Tom, throw that information uh, in there. So that would be very cool. So, and I thought there was something else in here. Oh, yeah, yeah, JoJo B. And we'll, we'll answer this, and then we'll get on to the next one. Is Holmes Jack the Ripper? Uh, Jeff made a very compelling case for that. I, I think the jury's still out, but I am leaning a little bit more that way these days. Just, you know, f- from watching that series, from talking with, uh, with Jeff a little bit there. Uh, I, I think it's a very compelling case, and some of the, you know, testimony that was used to call into question about you know whether it really was or not, like the um, some of the handwriting samples that they threw out there. Um, you know, Jeff has in other cases done the handwriting samples to where they, where they did match, where whatever this one handwriting expert was on the show, they were comparing them, and they took the um the ripper samples that they have which i do believe were really written by jack the ripper <clears throat> and they compared them to writing from hh H. holmes when he was younger and he when he was older but not during the time that he was that would have been the jack the ripper time and people's handwriting do change a little bit uh over time and so i thought it was really weird how they were trying to make that assessment with two different pieces of um, handwriting that were in completely different time frames than when the actual Ripper murders occurred. And they had plenty of handwriting samples for back then, you know, because he was doing all these different business transactions. So I didn't understand that. But um, yeah, so Jeff makes a compelling case. I think so. So, and there's uh, Tom McNichols' Spoof Show will be two different days, August uh, 3rd and 4th in Mattoon, Illinois. It is a free Paracon. So go check it out. And my weekend yes and kashana is august 5th that sunday so all right (laughs) lots of stuff going on and i will be living in illinois by then so there you go all right so lavinia fisher so now this is a uh, interesting tale so this is one where um you get a lot of legends within the haunting so the uh, old Charleston jail there, a lot of people say, is haunted by the spirit of Lavinia Fisher, as well as many other inmates that uh, that once uh, had stayed there. And uh, Shauna, we know somebody who actually made an uh, an album <laughs> based on this. Yeah, yeah, and you know, she said the they said that you know they had the actual. Um, the event, you know, they performed at the event, the song, you know, the music that they wrote about it, um, actually at the jail. Yeah. You know, and said that there was, you know, definitely some, you know, some vibes going on there. So. Oh, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some energy there. Um, People do say that they see her there. And like I said, some of the other inmates and but I do want to kind of clarify the the legend a little bit. For one, um, this is not an actual 
painting of Lavinia Fisher. There, there is no image of her. This one has been kind of thrown in there as a standby, and I forget exactly who it is. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not a painting of her. Um, there's no photo of her, so this is kind of close to a description of what, what she looked like. She also was not hung at the jail, and so a lot of people incorrectly make that assessment. She was hung north of town. Um, she also, well, she and her, I can't, I can't remember if they're actually married or if they're just together. Um, she and John, um, they, they were not hung for murder. They were hung for highway robbery. So that's another part of the legend that always gets misconstrued. You know, um, there were, basically they were highway robbers that operated out of what they called the, the five mile house and the six mile house, basically ends along the road in and out of uh, Charleston. And there were a couple bodies uh, found, I think it was like 200 yards or something like that, away from one of those houses that were, the rem, the remains were like, had been in the ground a couple of years and they could never pin those deaths on anybody from the gang. Um, but basically what they do is, you know, people came in and out of the town, um, you know, different travelers, different merchants. And remember, this is back during the day where it was, you know, horse and buggy. You know, it's not like the highways that we have today where you're just, you know, up and down the super slam, you know, with, with your car or with your truck. You know, it was, you know, you in a cart in a horse and, you know, these brigands, these gangs would jump out. Uh, you know, from the bushes at you and, you know, hold you at gunpoint and steal everything. And so it was, you know, it would hurt the commerce of a lot of these cities. And so highway robbery was a capital punishment. And so that's what they were actually uh, hung for was highway robbery. North of town, not at the jail. <laughs> now, the one thing that is true of her legend um, is that uh, when they got to the gallows, she did yell out the crowd, um, you know, if you have a message for hell, give it to me, you know, um, and I'll take it there, or whatever, whatever it was. She actually did yell that out of the crowd, um, which is kind of interesting. I guess she was yelling all kinds of, you know, crazy profanities and stuff like that. So um, so that's what really went down. But, yeah, the, uh, the jail there is, you know, supposed to be haunted by her and several other of the inmates. And, you know, it very well could be uh, haunted by her because she did stay there for, for quite some time. And, you know, there's something I also got to throw out there. I got to hand it to John. Um, because they, they made an escape attempt with some, uh, some bed sheets. Climbed out the window. He made it to the ground. And their, their bed sheet rope broke. Um, and so Lavinia was not able to climb down. And he just stayed there at the bottom. He, he could have taken off, ran off to freedom. And he actually stayed there and let the authorities capture him <laughs> so that he could go back in there with her because he wasn't going to leave without her. So I've got to give him some props for that. So I kind of like to, where we like to research hanging trees and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would like to, you know, go to the site, you know, does, does that site where she was hung, you know, is there documented, you know, anything that any part of that is still standing? Or... Yeah, the actual site where she was hung. Um, that's a good question. You know, it is... You know, it's documented that she was hung north of town at whatever gallows that they had there. It sounds like from what I read that, you know, they used this site on a number of occasions. So, um, 
yeah, I don't know specifically where in Charleston that would be, but it sounds like it, you know it's documented. We could and one could find it. So she was hung in 1820, I believe. Um, so probably you know a better better documentation than some others of an older date. And you know, it's a Charleston is a big town. You know, even back then, so could find it. Um, Shauna, this is a question from you from Sharon Lane. Shauna, how do you keep it from draining you or making you feel ill when you visit a haunted location? Dove dark chocolate. <laughs> Dove dark chocolate. Yes, yes, we do actually. Yeah. After, um, but before, <laughs> um, it's still a work in progress for me because there's sometimes I can't hang, you know, too long in an area. And sometimes it does uh, physically affect me. Um, I put an awful lot of faith in um, sage and certain stones to kind of help um, shield against some of the, you know, negative, you know, energy that I kind of am into contact with. Um, the process of grounding and shielding is so important. Um, I notice a definite difference you know, when I do that, uh, but then there are some times where I don't, you know, do anything. I might have some of the stones with me, but I, you know, sometimes just want to see, you know, how, how strong I can get, how bad I can get and just not shield, you know, from anything. Um, I don't always do that. You know, if I'm used to a location, you know, it's kind of, you know, I, I try both ways, um, with a new one. I definitely don't like to shield, you know, first time going in mm -hmm. just to, so I know what there so um well, yeah, I, yeah let me throw this out there you know i think we've gotten kind of used to um mineral springs but we go upstairs and you still carry your stones on you but i think you got so used to it you know going to mineral springs that you did forget to use your stones the one time yeah the one time i did forget to have anything on me and and then I realized what I was shielding myself from all this time because um, I couldn't, you know, allow myself, even in my peripheral, to look into any of the rooms that I was going by. And um, I was Mike's shadow that night. Right. And he could not be in back of me or I would knock him over trying to get him behind <laughs> me. You know? But then once I got down there and, you know, kind of saged a little bit and just kind of, you know, breathed through it a little bit and kind of you know, focused on, you know, getting my stuff together and grabbing all the black stones that I could find and sticking them down in there, you know, where I carry them. And um, it was a lot easier to handle, you know, which goes to show, you know, that if you want something to work for you to help you, you know, yeah, it might have its own energy, but it depends on you and, yeah. you know, your, your faith in it to work for you. So... Um, and be hydrated and have some dumb dark chocolate on ready. <laughs> dumb dark chocolate, yeah. So uh, Donna threw out there, yeah, ha, ha, ha. The Harry Potter secret is out, is out here. Eat this chocolate. It really does help. And um, <laughs> somebody mentioned, I, I saw it in passing, somebody mentioned the, the Dementors. So, um, yeah, so the Dementors, those uh, crazy dark. They're, they're like the shadow people of Harry Potter, right? So they're, that's another one that... You know, makes it look like all shadow people are evil when when they're not. But um, 
But yeah, the uh, the chocolate, especially the dark chocolate, is supposed to help with the pineal gland in the uh, in the brain. So of course, a lot of people you know point out the um, the pineal gland um, aids in you know you picking up on supernatural uh, activity. Uh, of course, uh, generates DMT stuff like that. So the dark chocolate is they say helps with that. And I've noticed that. Yeah, it does kind of like really after having a very uh, intense investigation, uh, it's really heavy or high in energy that just having a little bit of that chocolate afterward does help. Absolutely. So, so um, and Donna's saying uh, helps carrying them in your bra because it protects your heart chakra. Yes. There you go. All right. So. Let's move on to the next. We got a couple more here, and the hour's gone by quick. So, because <laughs> we're almost already there. So, all right. So, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, John Wilkes Booth. Of course, is um, we're talking about crime here. We're talking about the murder of a president with, um, and it looks like I don't have everything loaded in here. So, I had a couple issues with bringing in all the photos earlier. So, um, yeah, so, because I had the, the picture or the drawing of him murdering Lincoln, but we don't need it because everybody knows that he murdered Abraham Lincoln. So, on his flight out, it's, it's, it's really interesting. His flight out of Washington, you know, broke his leg, and it, it seems like every place that he hit was haunted. So, you know, the the first was the Surratt House. You know, they they came back here to get supplies, um, John Surratt was one of the uh, the co-conspirators, so they had you know some uh, field supplies, provisions, things like that here at the house. Um, they had some uh, weapons hiding for them in the walls, like literally hiding in the walls. So like you go up into the attic area, and in the old style houses um, back then, you know the I mean, they're hollow like today, but, you know, they had the little boards and the plaster and all that, but they basically went all the way up and down the house. So what they did was uh, up in the attic, because you could look down into the into the walls that um, of the rest of the house, they hung a couple of rifles up on ropes and just had them hanging in the walls to, um, you know, to, kind of, to have them hidden. And so when they went to the Surratt house to get their provisions and everything they went upstairs into the attic to get the rifles and they dropped one of them all the way down to the wall and that is uh one of the big things that implicated the surratt family was the the (laughs) the rifle in the wall they actually tore open the wall in the dining room and got the rifle out and you know there was part of the uh the evidence there uh, against the surratt family so um of course uh Mary Surratt was uh, was hung for that. Um, there's her hanging. So uh, and so, you know, there's always that debate as to whether Mary was really involved or not, because the boarding house in Washington D.C. is where um, you know that conspiracy was was plotted. Of course, she ran the um, the boarding house. The uh, the house here is actually in Clinton, Maryland. So this is a um, it was a tavern, their home. There was a, uh, it was a uh, post office there for a while. And when 
her husband died, she basically kind of closed up shop here and then opened up the boarding house in uh, Washington, D.C., which is where the plot was, was hatched. Um, so, yeah, Mary's implicated there at the boarding house. She's implicated here at this house. Uh, but a lot of people try to say, well, I don't know if she was really all that guilty. Um, her son, John, made it like all the way to Egypt. He took out, off out of the country. <laughs> um, I don't want to get too much into all that. But uh, the next place that um, Booth went to was the Samuel Mudd house because his leg was broken. And so Dr. Samuel Mudd was a doctor that they knew, and they needed him to treat the leg. Of course, Mudd was also implicated as one of the co-conspirators and spent uh, jail time, although he was later pardoned by uh, President Andrew Jackson. Um, so Booth stopped off here to get, to get his leg tended to. He was actually in disguise. He and um, the guy that was with him, David Harold. So they were in disguise. Uh, Mudd says he didn't recognize them, even though they had previously met like a couple times. Um, and so what's interesting about this house, and it seems like every time I've gone here, I've had something happen. But... Um, this particular house, I uh, I have all kinds of electronic issues every time I go there. You know, I lose I, I lose photographs, I lose audio that I've, uh, that I've taken. It's just I always end up losing stuff. Um, that's it's there. I, you know, I'm taking it, I'm recording it, and then pff, it's gone. Um, so very very interesting about that. But so I had to go back there because I lost all my photographs. Went back there, and originally I thought it was closed up because the gate was you know. Um, was closed. They said, okay, you know, it's, it was a Monday, and so they weren't supposed to be open that particular day. But fortunately, there was a docent that came by and let me into the house. And he said, I'm opening it up for a private showing, but um, you can come on up, take your photographs. And so, you know, he's telling me all these different stories. So I'm asking him about his experiences there at that particular house, and people have talked about, you know, they've seen the, the apparition of Mrs. Mudd there, dolls have gone flying off the chair, you know, all kinds of different footsteps and things like that and so we're going up into we're going upstairs we're headed toward the one bedroom where john wilkes booth had spent the night when he was getting his leg tended to and he's telling me about this impression that's left in the bed that you know they'll come up in the morning and it's there and they have to fix it up you know to make it, everything look nice for the public and so we're going to the room he's opening up the the uh the blinds to you know get light in for their showing and so, you know, sure enough, they're on the bed, you know, because he's telling me the story. And I'm like, so you mean this impression right here? And so you can see, um, you know, where his head would have been, the feet, the, you know, kind of an elbow kind of off on the side of the bed like that. And it's kind of funny because the, the docent was like, well, that's what I'm talking about. He's all upset. He's like, we've got to, you know. You know, fix that and make it look nice for the public. It happens all the time. Da, da, da. It was really funny. Just his reaction. He was all upset about it. And I'm like, all right, I can take a photograph and put it in the book. And um, yeah, <laughs> it was kind of, it was a funny moment, but very, very cool. Because here's a, uh, here's a moment that they talk about that happens that they don't usually let the public see because they fix it all up and make it look nice. So it's just a story that you hear. And there it is. So, um, and, and there's other you know, legends about John Wilkes Booth as to whether or not, um, you know, there's a whole conspiracy theory about whether or not he actually uh, escaped out of Virginia, which is where they say that, you know, he was he was killed. Um, 
but they say he made it off to Texas and actually up to Enid, Oklahoma, and the two places there that he spent time were supposed to be haunted as well. So, you know, you're seeing here, you know, the crime of the murder of a president being associated with a number of different hauntings. So, and I didn't really mention it with the Surratt house. They, they have all kinds of, you know, hauntings there as far as like footsteps and bootsteps, um, a little girl that they see and just a lot of different things. So, um, you should. <clears throat> Sometime, if you ever want to do more research on the Samuel Mudd House, you should definitely consider um, talking at length with my cousin Tammy's boyfriend because remember he's a director. Yes, son. yeah, that was kind of interesting when, um, yeah, when she told me uh, he's he's an actual Mud. I was like, oh wow, cool, because you know I have that connection with the house, and um, it was a significant uh, chapter in the in my book Ghosts of Maryland, where you know I included. Um, it was Frankie Mudd, the uh, the wife of uh, Samuel Mudd, um, had her memoirs, and um, she had kept a diary. And so uh, I included an excerpt of part of their experience dealing with the Union soldiers as they were being investigated, as, as um, Dr. Mudd was being investigated. Um, and Andrew is asking, wasn't there a pick of a man in the mirror? So, yes, there was. Yes, there was. So it's not my pick. Um so we did a couple years ago um, a uh, Ghosts and Legends video on the Samuel Mudd house. And so this photo is actually from uh, Rhonda Dixon, who uh, works with Inspired Ghost Tracking, headed up by Margaret Ehrlich. Um, and so that is Dr. Mudd in the mirror. And so, you know, I'm not really big on reflection pics. Um, I'm usually really, really skeptical of them. Uh, whether it's a mirror or a um, uh, a window or something like that, but because of the number of times I've been in this house and how familiar I am with the layout and where everything is within that house, because I've been there many times, um, I find this to be a legitimate picture. It's it does resemble him, and it's coming down those stairs. And people have talked about seeing him coming down the stairs uh, on other occasions. Just this is the only pick of it. And it just it happens to be through a mirror. But um, yeah, it, it, it's a very interesting pick. And they actually keep that on hand there at the at the mud house. So but that's that's not my photograph. That's a photograph from Rhonda Dixon. So and I'm using it here since I mean, because uh, she's let me use it in uh, other videos before. So. Um, yeah, B3 aerospace mirrors are cool. Um, yeah, you know, as far as, um, like portals and things like that. Yeah. I just don't like using them as, uh, like photographs or paranormal evidence because just looking at the pick, if you're not familiar with the area, um, and if you're not there, even when the pick is being taken, you don't know what all is around the person when they're taking that photograph so it could be a reflection of like almost anything so what do you think shauna yeah, i've never really done any mirror i go out of my way to try not to you know be aiming at and um if i'm not there then i don't know yeah you know and um have i had stuff happen to me involving mirrors yeah um have i seen people in mirrors yeah um in real time so um 
you know, I'm kind of on the fence, the kind of exper uh, experiments that I would like to do with mirrors, um, just because it's an unknown, you know, thing to me. And, um, but I think they're pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sean Oldsmith is making a reference to scrying mirrors. Yeah. It's a, and, and scrying mirrors are, are different than, you know, the mirrors that you, you know, like that you have on a wall or, you know, that you're using, you know, to, uh, to reflect yourself in that sort of thing. Um, and Fran say really too hard to verify. Yeah. That's, that's what I find. And I've seen like many window picks that, you know, you go there later on, you know, you know, you've seen somebody's photograph online or maybe they send you something and you go to it and it's like, um, okay, I see where that could reflect there and make that. Okay, done. So I just, I kind of toss most of them. Um, <laughs> Sean Oldsmith, I've seen something scary in a mirror. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew Cox, mirrors can cause uh, to be portals face across from each other. Yeah, that that happens as well. So yeah, there's a lot of mirrors are portals. Um, and B3 Aerospace saying seen many things in ancient or old mirrors. Interesting. Okay. Um. All right. So let's get to our last one. So. This is the Monster in the Closet case. So starting with the um, one of the articles from the historic research of that. So the Monster in the Closet case was uh, the show for The Haunted. And so um, there's a, a lot of bad history with that particular house. This is the actual article of the, um, of the suicide within the house, which was the homeowner's father. The original homeowner's father, like the first people who actually lived in the house. Um, and so he committed suicide in the bedroom where Talison, the girl that was having uh, most of the issues, because all the family was experiencing things, but she was the one that was kind of being terrorized. Um, he, he killed himself in her room. Now, there's other things that happened there, like with the, with the original homeowner. Um, it was after his father uh, had, uh, had killed himself there. He ended up in a massive, you know, out and out with his wife. And he took a pistol and put it under his chin, tried to kill himself, and missed. And so it was a big mess, of course. She ran and got the neighbor, and um, they ended up getting a divorce, of course. But um, so you have a suicide, an attempted suicide in there. And then there was this interesting story, and we could never confirm it. Um, it did a lot of research to try to confirm it, but it had talked to a retired police officer. Um, and he was probably late eighties, early nineties by the time I talked to him. And he told the story about going to that house at one particular point in time and having the unfortunate job of dealing with a, uh, teen who had accidentally asphyxiated himself in the closet. So, you have all of this again we couldn't quite confirm it but you know i i don't know how much you argue with a guy that was you know a retired cop who said it happened there um and maybe it just didn't make the papers you know especially back in the day um so you have all these nasty things going on in this house and then the hauntings on top of it so um one of the things that you know, we tried to get to the bottom of 
um, during our questioning, during our investigations. We investigated that house you know, like half a dozen times before we actually did the filming for the show. Which, of course, the show doesn't show that. They make it look like we investigated one time and then, oh, you know, we're going to cleanse it. But no, we investigated about like a half a dozen times. Um, we're trying to determine whether or not the entity that was terrorizing Talison and was making itself known to the rest of the family, if it was actually... Um, you know, one of the uh, people that had either killed himself, you know, the the father of homeowner, or, or attempted suicide. So I was asked, I kept asking, you know, the last name, the last name, uh, which last name was Kathy, and finally got an EVP that said, no, not Kathy. Like, okay, so then was it something there that was? And this is kind of where my thinking went now. Carl Johnson, who we brought in and our occult specialist at the time, ended up saying they thought it was a wraith, which is a human spirit which gets which becomes malevolent in the afterlife. So I guess you're you're decent as a human in life, and then in the afterlife you become an asshole. I don't know. That's that's kind of their definition. Um, and nothing against Carl. I just and that assessment of it being a, a wraith never sat well with me. It was something that was definitely nasty, something that was malevolent, um, not a demon. Um, I always wondered if it was something that was there on the land that predated the house. And then, because they built the house on top of this land, that it decided to wreak some havoc there. Um, you know, that can happen. So... Some of the different things that went down, um, I, I decided I was going to share some photos that I haven't before. Um, now, people are familiar with the uh, people on this channel are familiar with no, not that one, this one. Are familiar with the blessing night. So, um, you guys have seen this one before, where there's Carl doing the blessing over Talison because she had come into the house and was start, was talking at the wall. Um, so Carl decided to, to do a blessing over her, and then all of a sudden she doubled over in pain, like she'd been pu punched in the gut. And this is where I got that EVP that said die when she got punched in the gut. Um, well, this is actually before all that. This, is, this wasn't actually in the show. This is one of, I don't know who took the photograph, because that's me. <laughs> so I didn't take this photograph. But that's, that's Talison talking at the wall. Um, she was asking questions like, you know, why are you here? Why do you keep doing this to me? Why do you keep terrorizing me, my family, the cat, you know, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> and then all those other different things, you know, happened where, uh, Carl does the blessing over her. She doubles over in pain. The other thing that happened, um, right after this and they eliminated from the show was that after we got her back up I mean, we, we put her on the bed because she just was out and then she got back up she was okay and then all of a sudden the tri-field meter back in the uh in her bedroom started going off like crazy because we sat one up there by the closet where she was having a lot of the problems that started going off like crazy and then the back door to the master bedroom blew open and we closed it and it blew open again and so i've included here like i said these are photos that i haven't really shared before um, uh, where is it? So there's Carl. Uh, it's legitimately, he was blessing the back door. He's got the holy water there. So, you know, that that's the type of stuff that, that went down. And we ended up pushing the thing out of the house. 
and out through the backyard where the wind whipped up and the cats were running around just like crazy. Um, you know, it was just a real wild and crazy night. And so, and I, I go to this one because of the things that actually happened there. I mean, not necessarily a crime against a person other than oneself, you know, and that's, you know, um, the homeowner's father killed himself. The homeowner tried to kill himself. Then there's this story of the teenager in the closet who, it sounds like he accidentally killed himself. So it's always crimes against one's own body. And Shauna, I, I don't know. Like I said, it always, it, it never sat well with me about just, you know, we're, we're going to call this thing a wraith. The, the show title was originally supposed to be Wrath of the Wraith, and they ended up changing it to Monster in the Closet. And it just never really sat well with me. To me, it was, I always thought in in my head and from, you know, all the investigating that we did there, the EVPs that we got there, just the general vibe, you know, and they say, you know, trust trust your instincts, um, that it was something that predated the house being built there, you know. And, and I know you weren't involved with this case, Shauna, but, you know, what do you think about that? Like a, an entity on just empty land, I, I don't know if there had been a dwelling there before. I, I don't know if it had been something like an Indian cemetery. I have no idea. But something predating the land, getting pissed off that house is built there and people have moved in, and then, you know, affecting those people in, in such a way. I, that's definitely, you know, a strong possibility because, you know, you, it's hard to say, you know, what kind of energy, you know, was there before, um, you know, as we were, the place that we were talking about, you know, before where, um, you know, there's something, you know, bad, you know, traumatic events just keep happening over and over and just feeding whatever is there, you know, is it making that energy stronger? It's like, it's a battery, you know, for it, or, you know, is it, you know, what's already there that's strong enough on its own just to keep, you know, feeding people this bad energy and stuff like that. I think they feed it off of each other, you know, um, you know, wraiths and demons and stuff like that. You know, I'm not going to deny the existence of stuff like that. Um, like I said, I, I'll try to explain it as everything else first. You know, before that, that's usually like the, well, if it can't be any of these other things, yeah, maybe we'll stick it over there. Maybe, maybe that's what that is. I mean, you know, because how do you, because you don't really know. It's not like it's going to admit, yep. I'm a demon. Yeah. It yeah. No way that way. Yeah, know? those ones that say that I'm a demon aren't really demons. And uh, have a good night, Candy. Candy saying that uh, she can't keep her eyes open any longer. I know we, we've gone uh, a bit long here. But um, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, you know, discredit, you know, the idea that, okay, a, a wraith, a, you know, a, um, a human spirit that has become malevolent in life. I mean, I do believe that. I mean, obviously, it was a malevolent spirit, um, and I do believe that it was a human spirit. I just don't know if it was, um, you know, if it became malevolent in the afterlife. I guess that's the thing that kind of sticks with me on that one. Like, how do you know? <laughs> you know, how do you? And like I said, no, nothing against Carl. I like I like Carl. Uh, he's a good guy, and uh, he's going to be at the Ocean State Paracon. So um, maybe I'll actually I'll discuss it with him there because <laughs> uh, I haven't talked I haven't really talked to him since then. Um, 
but you know, how do you know if it had been, um, a, a, I don't know, a quote unquote better person when they were actually alive than the afterlife? That's why research is important. Yeah. You can't say, oh, well, this person, you know, was killed here or whatever, so it must be, you know, just their, you know, spirit. They're the ones causing all this, you know. Um, but what was there before that? Yeah. You know, what was there before any of the venues were there? What was happening, you know, on the land itself? You know, it takes effort, but you have to go back. You have to research all that. That's why nobody gets any sleep at night at Haunted Road Media. Right. <laughs> yeah, so and... and- and I, right. And I do recall researching that one and getting back into the records. And, you know, I've um, we, we've done uh, a paranormal research episode here on uh, Inside the Upside Down before and, you know, showing about going into those like county assessor records and the old land plats and stuff like that. And I remember doing that with this case because I wanted to know what the heck was there beforehand. And I got as far back as like when they, you know, originally uh, set up the land plats Um and, and they just show, you know, some blank, blank land and there's a creek and it's like, oh, and then they've got, you know, marked out where, you know, this lot is and that lot is and all that. It's like, okay, but it doesn't really show you what was there beforehand, you know, and of course the records of that, they were the first homeowners into that new subdivision. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That's, um, yeah, definitely one for uh, really digging deep. <laughs> That's why I like doing research like in Calhoun and stuff like that because the archaeology department can tell you every single Native American, you know, whatever that is that is on a place. All their active dig sites and, and stuff like that or, you know, yeah. if it's not active, it's places that they've dug before, you know, and stuff like that. Um, Except whether or not there was a two-story building on the site of the school. Right. <laughs> We just can't find that. Um, Andrew Cox, we don't need sleep at Haunted Road Media shirts. Oh, he wants a shirt that says we don't need sleep at Haunted Road Media. Yeah. <laughs> and Di- coffee. Yes, coffee. I'm just here for the coffee. And I guess Di- Diane is also taking off. I know it's getting late in the east. It's after midnight. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess we can kind of wrap it up there. Um, since people are having to take off because it is getting late and people have to get up. I mean, Rob Gutro checked out during <laughs> the edge of the rabbit hole because he has to get up at like four in the morning. So, yeah, I get that. Um, yeah, <laughs> Kathy Siliento, we don't need no stinking sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, 12 12 in the east. There you go. We're talking numbers earlier with Peter Anthony. No, it's 12 12. Yep. Um, so Sharon, awesome show. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate that. All right. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. And uh, I hope you guys found this uh, this episode interesting. We do get uh, some requests for different you know true crime episodes and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting to lump them all together. Of course, we did did just have Lizzie Borden uh, as Friday Night Ghost right there uh, on Friday. So just kind of inspired to do that. So. All right, let's go ahead and get into the uh, shout-outs. We want to thank um, Tom McNicholas for bringing our Super Chat Superstar. Welcome to Illinois. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Um, all right, so uh, I already said goodnight to Candy and Diane. Uh, Donna, thank you for uh, Cheshire Cat chatting the chat. I want to say uh, have a good evening to, let's see, Kathy Siliento, Pamela Rainey, there's Betty Lange. 
Sean Oldsmith, Spooky, Dawn, thank you very much. Bree Jones, thank you as well. Andrew Cox, thank you very much. Judith Wilburn, thank you, Judith, for joining us tonight. She says, lots of fun. Uh, Susan Stack, thank you very much. She says, thank you for all your hard work. Uh, the Haglin, thank you as well. Uh, Tim Schoen, thanks for joining us again. Samuel Hall, yeah, 1112, where he's at Central. <laughs> Down in Memphis. Uh, Sharon Lane, thank you very much. I think I said Sharon earlier. Beat 3 Airspace. Oh, you know what I didn't do last episode? and I'll do it here. So our Deep Down the Rabbit Hole Patreon patrons, there's uh, Tom McNicholas, Grizz, Beat 3 Airspace, um, Zippy Davis, BD Flint, Pamela Queen, and Don Francisco. Thank you all very, very much for being our Deep Down the Rabbit Hole Patreon patrons. There you go. Um, M. Labuda, thank, uh, 61, thank you very much. Pungai Fungi, thank you as well. There's Katie. Oh. What's that? Can I, Pamela Rainey? <laughs> I saw my name pop up in there. Oh, okay, okay. I'm scrolling up, so I don't know what's going on all the way down. Um, there's Katie Palmer, Kathy Saliento, Susan Sack, thank you all. Chip Cherry, thanks again. Um, see who else we have. And yeah, there's Tom. And uh, I think I got Bree. And all right, so I'm gonna scroll back down. Whew. We had 55 people watching it. Yeah, there are a lot so. of people. There are a lot of people. I know. And um, and there's you know, always you know, Commander Gaming Connor. <laughs> Hi, Connor. I love you. Uh, he always seems to pop in like right at the end. Like, hey, I want to get my <laughs> shout out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's Tim Schoen and anybody else. I guess you got about five seconds. Uh, there's Chanel F. Thank you. Serenable out in Ireland. Hey, how's it going? And uh, there's April M. Wimigwans. And I think that's going to be about it. I know there's always a bunch of people lurking and like hit, hit us up later. Like, yeah, we watch. We just... <laughs> you don't always throw down in chat which is fine it's great you know um awesome all right everybody so that's gonna do it for tonight um next week i should have announced this during uh edge of the rabbit hole next week for edge of the rabbit hole we have andrea perrin coming back so yeah. that's always a good time no idea what we're talking about asked andrea so what do you want to talk about this time she's like i don't know we'll just talk <laughs> So I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of different things. So, of course, we'll be uh, previewing the Ocean State Paracon as well coming up in July. So uh, that'll be very, very cool. So, and there's Donna Gorton. Yay. Yeah. And Spooky saying, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be a good time. It's always a good time with Andrea. So very, very good friend of mine. Um, awesome. All right, everybody. So have a good night. Get some sleep. I know I won't. But... Um, <laughs> That's why what, break tradition why break know? tradition that's what i got coffee for so all right everybody have a good night and um we'll see you for friday night ghost frights till next night. time